Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast with Steve Allen and Michael Butner on SEN Track. Good morning. We're live from Shelley Beach Golf Course. We're back at our spiritual home overlooking the 18th. We were meant to be at the track and field, but we'll tell you more about that as the show unfolds. A couple of hiccups prior to going to air. So love being back here overlooking the gorgeous 18th and the first tee is away to our left, the par five here at Shelley Beach Golf Course. It's a little Beards. bit quiet today, Steve, though, out on the course. I think um, well, maybe the weather's deterred a few of the... Uh the golfers today? Yeah, the last 48 hours we've had plenty of rain mm. and uh, howling, absolutely howling wind this morning. Great show coming up, Butes. I wanted to bring the boxing kangaroo. The oh. w- Winter Olympics are underway. Our boy from the Central Coast in action, uh, Matty Graham, will catch up with his dad in just a few moments. Oh, but Butes, Butes, you're back in the hot seat. Yeah. And I've just got to quickly say thanks to Gary, the guru, Birkinshaw. Wow, Butes, when you go away, normally in the media business... You try to get someone that's not up to your lofty heights, but the guru. Would you uh, suggest that he surpassed them? Oh, the guru is amazing. You yeah. could ask him anything. He knows it all. If I ask you anything, I'm not sure where it will go. Good, yeah, yeah. Normally it comes back to a story about you. <laughs> or your your, your uh, antics up at Baham Beach, Corumbu. Yeah, in the 1980s. In the 80s. Gee, it's great to see you. And you got the chocolates. Yes. Oh, yeah, we did. I went down to the city country tournament down at Coff, uh, down at Wollongong, and uh, no, it was a really good tournament, mate. We played. I played in the forty fives, obviously, but there was a, a fourteen different age divisions. Uh, and as it turned out, uh, City ended up winning eight divisions to six. Uh, and in fact, the final division that was uh, being uh, finalised was the over sixties, and it ended up going into extra time. And City ended up winning that to take the 8-6 lead. But uh, the calibre of talent down there, I guess the tournament's been postponed on three or four different occasions due to COVID and everything else. But it was great to have a run and get out there and be amongst it. So, yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, and uh, I guess after, like you said, everything's been postponed just to get the band back together. Yeah. You know, thousands of people would have been there. And yeah. uh, you're the real deal, Buttes. Uh, I mean, uh, tell our audience, you've played for Australia, you've made the world team. Yeah, well, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, oh, what, I've played seven or eight years now. Oztag have won two World Cups and, I don't know, numerous national titles and state championships. And, you know, we've got a really strong group up here on the uh, Central Coast, a really good, strong club. And, in fact, they've won the uh, the Senior State Championships Club of the Year for the last eight years. So. Shout out for your team. Who's in it? Oh, look, I've got the likes of... Uh, in fact, David Riolo played in the countryside with me, a uh, former Illawarra Steeler and Parramatta player. Um, I had Shane Moy, who's a coastie. David Rose, the great David Rose, who's a Hall of Famer for Australian Oztag. Um, who else did we have? We had uh, Justin Brown and Dean Farrell. They're down uh, from Cronulla. Uh, look, mate, ours was... A, I've got to say, our team, the countryside, was star-studded in terms of... 
Australian players. Like, and it wasn't stacked that way. It's just the way things planned out in the selection process. But, um, yeah, we dominated the city team, which we probably expected to. And if we didn't, then there was something wrong with us. But it was a great, great tournament. I really enjoyed it. Um, and looking forward to – got mate, there's plenty of tournaments coming up. I've got seven tournaments up at Coffs Harbour this year. So I'm going to be leaving you in the lurch a couple of times. But the guru – Sounds like he's got it covered. He won't yeah. be a problem at all. Hey, I can see you standing, and that can mean only one thing. We're about to cross live to Steve Graham. Mm. He's got the setup at his place, the giant screen, the Olympic rings, grandstands, food trucks, all to get ready for tonight's massive event. Matt Graham going for gold in the moguls. Steve Graham, good morning, mate. Standing ovation. Yeah, good day, Steve. Good day, Butte. How are you going, boys? Thanks for the call. Um, as a matter of fact, we haven't. We've spoken to his sister, Eliza, over there, the team physio, but um, no, we haven't spoken to Matt as such. Um, and generally speaking, after a bit of a disappointment, even though he didn't show disappointment on his interview with um, Channel 7 the other night, he tends to go underground and sort of work out what he's got to do differently the next time. So, I'm of the understanding, Hot Dog, that um, it was a sort of more equipment failure as opposed to him getting anything wrong technically? Oh, a little bit of both. It's made, yep. um he, he did break a boot, allegedly. Um, we heard off his sister in one of his training runs just before his first qualification run. Um, but, like, you know, you just suck that up and deal with it because there's not enough time to get back to the village to do anything about it. But he, he, and it might have been boot-related, but uh, from what we saw on the coverage, he did um, over-rotate slightly back full off the top air and landed on his heels and... If you land on your heels, you're going to sort of, the skis will just slip out from underneath you a little bit. And, yep. and that was pretty much game over after that. And then he took the evasive action rather than try and fight it because he has still got that shoulder that's an issue. So um, he just pulled out of the course and said, oh, well, I'll have another shot in Q2. Yep. Uh, Butte and I were just discussing the pressure that's on him, but we've seen him step up at the highest level are you confident that he'll just bounce back immediately in Q2? Now, I believe there's there's 20 starters. He's got to finish top 10 to move through to the final? Yeah, 20 starters. So the way it works tonight um, is they, they take the best score of the two qualifications. So for Matt, he doesn't have a score from the first round of qualifying. But um, So it's all or nothing tonight. It's probably a bit after 9 o'clock. I think he's out about, uh, I think the start list, I think he's about 17th out of the start gate or whatever, out of the 20. Um, but look, he'll he'll be focusing, he'll be visualising, he'll be analysing and what he's got to do to get in the top 10. And look, he's he's a good skier, so yeah. he'll just execute, hopefully, tonight and get through. Hey, uh, Butes, I've just got to say, uh, you know, we're privileged. We've been invited to the Graham household tonight. Mm. Uh, when I was watching on Thursday night, there were so many athletes where Channel 7 have said, where are you guys going to watch or where's your family? And they all said, we're <laughs> heading for the Central Coast. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, tonight, Buttes, will be pretty special for all of us. In, in a lot of ways, we'll be voyeurs watching these families support their kids on the world's biggest stage. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, you, you won't be able to pinch us because it'll be such, oh. such an amazing experience to share that with the, with the families tonight. Oh, you bet. You know, there's no doubt that, you know, how excited they would be watching their kids perform and, um, and I guess the pressure on, you know, not necessarily on the, <clears throat> not necessarily on the parents, but um, they will be feeling every bit of that, every jump, every bump, every whatever, you name it, yeah. every spin, turn, uh, whatever it may be. He's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Hot Dog, I just want to touch on how 
You know, I, I think about Matty and, you know, the qualifying run and, you know, you, you, I'm assuming that he's just going to put that be, behind him, completely behind him and go, okay, you know what, we start again now. And it's not about – you don't win a gold medal in your first run, right? So he can yeah, build up yeah. and, and get back into where he needs to get to. And I guess that's the beauty of this stage here because I have no doubt that of the 20, uh, of the 20 uh, competitors left, he would probably be in the top three if not the number one there. Uh, remaining, so he knows what he's got to do to get himself. And whether that means finishing first, whether it means finishing tenth, he's just got to get himself through to the next round. That's right. That's right. It's, it's a case of just just execute, not go too hard, not overcook it. Just just stay in the moment and um, look down the hill, of course. And and yep. look, you got to remember too, Akuma Horoshima, uh, number two in the world. He's in the, he's in this mix tonight as well. Mm. He didn't yep. make it through in the first ten neither. And one of the new young guns from the States, Nick Page, he's in the same situation. So there's still some still some low numbers, some high-ranking skiers that have got to sort of get through tonight as well. And they're all in the same boat. You know, they've got to put down a run that scores well enough to get them through to join the first 10. And then um, that's 20, and then 20 becomes 12, and 12 becomes 6. Mm-hmm. Steve, we had uh, go, four... go home. We had four Aussie men ski the other night, and they all did a fantastic job. All four, though, will be in this 20-man field tonight trying to get through to the final. The women have set the world on fire. Jakara mm. Anthony and also Britt Cox, and I believe some of their families will be at uh, Camp Graham tonight. <laughs> yeah, we've got Britt Cox's mum and dad here. They're up from Albury, so um, and they're on the move. They sold their place down there at uh, Mount Beauty, and they're... Heading down to down to North, down to, down Torquay Way to live and sort of do a bit of work down there and semi-retire down there. But they're here staying at our place. Have been since Tuesday and um, we've got Jimmy Matheson's mum and dad up here from Sydney and um, Cooper Woods' family there down at Pam- Pambula Beach. So they've got to do on down there and, and of course Brody Summers' mum and dad. They're staying down in Melbourne. So. Um, yeah, there's a lot of friends from Jindabyne. There'll be a bunch from the sailing club, uh, the local sailing club. So it's all going to be good fun. We'll have a, we'll have a good And you guys, of course. And I think even the Danica Clark Foundation, some of the board members are making a representation as well, I believe. So it'll be great fun. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, i just got to say, Steve, I think Channel 7 have done a fabulous job. Some of the profiles mm. of these Winter Olympic athletes, including his son, Matt, uh, they make the hair stand on end. They have done such a great job. And they've also, they've also crossed to your house on numerous occasions already, like a live cross from the studio. Yeah, we've done a few. Had, I just, um, just before this call, I just finished the Sunrise gig. So, um, oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> had, had, Are you able to squeeze us in? <laughs> it's a pretty busy schedule. I had to sort of get it all in, like 8.15 on, on Sunrise this morning, 9 o'clock with SEN Radio. At, um, oh, dear, yeah, dear. Mate, you would have been I'm up... I'm not even the athlete. I'm, I'm just a dad. You would have been up at 5 o'clock in your uh, makeup sorted. I'll tell you what else. The other night yeah, when we Channel 7... The, the other night when Channel Five 7 crossed... I think Deb, Deb Graham, like, you know, she's the beauty of the family. Yeah. She's, she's Miss Universe 1984. <laughs> she, uh, she stole the limelight. Hot dog could not get oh, a word in. Yeah, she did. Well, it goes back to when we were over in um, Pyeongchang. I got, a, I got into trouble on Deb for hogging the microphone. So it's all yours, love. Go your heart knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. Returns. I do want to ask you, uh, Steve, just about the Aussies. You know, the moguls, what is it about the moguls that has so many Aussies competing? Like, we've got four in the men, we've got two or three in the women. Like, what is it about this event that attracts um, our Aussie skiers or 
uh, athletes into this event? Look, Butes, it's a great question. And like, if you if you go right back into the 70s, Australia was one of the freestyle fan, found, founding countries. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a competition that, that was developed down in Mount Buller called the A-Bomb Mogul Challenge. And up until COVID, it had run 30-odd years um, in succession without missing the beat. And, um, and I guess it's, the baton's been handed down family to family to family. And, and like, Matt's won that event six times and he's the all-time leader in that event. And, and like, it's just something that Australians can do with our small ski hills because, like, we only need about 150 metres of vertical elevation to get a 250-metre yeah, right. course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have the big hills for the, for the downhill races. That's 600-metre yeah. elevation. That makes sense. So they yeah, just sort of, yeah, they just do it all. And like, we had some really good skiers in the in the 90s, the Adrian Costas and the Nick Cleavers, and um, and again through the Avon Mogul Challenge. And then of course we had Dale Beck Smith that we inherited yep. from Canada, and Matt's Matt's biggest like he's, Matt would be his biggest fan, and um, and Dale still stays in touch with Matt regularly and helps him uh, and his coach. So like there's been a succession. You know, eventually it'll be Brit. Cox and Matt Graham that continue that on to the to the youngies coming through, which they're already doing now, and it just keeps going because we can build mogul courses to world to world standard. Yeah, I think I heard the and other that, night, Butes. Uh, Matt Graham is one of only I think fifteen Australians that have been able to climb onto the podium mm. at, the, at this level. So it's just incredible. Steve, can I just ask you? The news broke this week. In fact, I got a couple of messages this morning, audio messages from Ray Anderson. So Ray is now going to be a Paralympian in the Winter Olympics. And, of course, she competed in Rio in uh, discus and also javelin. So She's what... only the seventh uh, Paralympian yeah. to do that, which yeah. is absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Uh, she's a young lady we've had a lot to do with. Yep. And, uh, you know, she does an incredible job. So she's skiing down the mountain at high speeds without poles. Her message to me this morning was she's trying to work on maybe using the poles in Beijing. But what an incredible achievement. Oh, it's unbelievable. Like what, what the Paralympians do in summer and winter is just out of this world. And, and they never get the credit. No, nah, you know what? They, like they're just, they work just as hard as the, normal, as the, as the able-bodier. Yep. I will say this. Thankfully, um, one of them did get the credit, Dylan Orcott, as Australian of the Year, uh, and what he's done in tennis. It's just great to see them and their profile being elevated to where it is. You know, we've had Liesl Tesh on here numerous times. You know, it's amazing. Uh, Hawley, um, just amazing the uh, ability of these guys and what they're able to do. It's just phenomenal. And uh, I'm glad they're starting to get the recognition accolades they deserve. Hey, Steve, we could talk to you all day, my friend, but we are getting the wind-up from our producer. (laughs) Mate, he's got a 1,000 interviews to do. He's just squeezing (laughs) us in right now. Yeah. Hey, uh, is there... We're just checking, mate. Is there like a minibus that gets us home tonight? <laughs> well, who's talking about going home? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Good call. Good call. No one will be going anywhere. Great, no great to talk to you, mate. We, we can't wait. We're draped in the green and gold. And uh, good luck to your son, Matty, tonight. We'll see you later on. Thanks, boys. We'll see you this evening. Take care. Steve Graham. Uh, A.K.A. the hot dog. Could you imagine those two? <laughs> Dev and Steve and the microphone. It would be a tug of war. Seriously. Yeah. They cannot stop. Well, I could not believe it Thursday. Hot Dog could not get a word in. Yep. And we know that he'd <laughs> talk under wet cement with a mouthful of marbles. Unbelievable. Uh, off to our first break. We'll come back. We'll talk some football in a moment. Adam Kwasnick is on his way to Melbourne for the FFA Cup Grand Final. Mariners up against Melbourne Victory. This is Saturdays on the Coast on SEN.
BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. We're live from Shelley Beach Golf Course overlooking the 18th, back at our spiritual home. Last time we were here, we had all the junior golfers. Yes. And Buttes, you may have missed last weekend's show, but uh, there was a hole-in-one on the 10th. Wow. Okay, yeah. fantastic. So, so that's the short par three uh, just uh, to the south of us. A beautiful hole. Did uh, we get any of the results from last week or were we... Yeah, we did. Yeah, and, fantastic. Uh, so Jack from Jack Newton yep. uh, jumped on the show and there were some incredible rounds. I, I think the winner was just a couple over par. Wow. So it <laughs> shows how good the young golfers are. Mm. Hey, let's go live. I, I think we're going to an airport. Uh, and Adam Kwasnick is there on his way to Melbourne for the Central Coast Mariners up against Melbourne Victory in the FFA Cup Grand Final. Quaz, good morning, mate. Are you at Sydney Airport as we speak? Good morning, guys. I uh, certainly am. I'm boarding a flight at 10 o'clock to, to head to Melbourne, and uh, now what, an, what a game it's going to be, Melbourne Victory against the Central Coast Mariners. Uh, the Mariners haven't been in a Cup Final since 2013, so really looking forward to it, and hopefully there's uh, lots of support down there. Hey, Quaz, what's your role? Are you commentating for SEN or are you down there as simply as a Mariners legend? Steve, I've been lucky enough um, to walk out the FFA Cup trophy um, no. with Carl Valeri, who is a 113-game Melbourne victory legend. And then if the Mariners win, I'm going to be fortunate enough to hand uh, Ollie Bazanik and his teammates a trophy uh, on completion of the game. So I'm hoping for a big win from the Central Coast Mariners. They're going to be up against it against a really strong Melbourne victory team, uh, but just looking forward to the whole event. Yeah, gee, I tell you, you'll barely be able to contain yourself if you hand that trophy over to Ollie Bizanik. Now, uh, Ollie, yesterday for local news for NBN TV, uh, said if the Mariners can pull this off, it's going to be one of their greatest achievements of all time. Yeah, I tend to agree with uh, with Ollie there. The, the, the odds are stacked against them. Obviously, the, the venue being Amy Park, um, obviously the the exclusion of of uh, Jason Cummings, um, just just a whole range of things that are going against the Central Coast Mariners. And I guess you know if history says anything, they like it that way. I'm sure Nick Montgomery and the captain Ollie Bazanik will really fire the boys up for this one. Uh, backs against the wall, us against them. Um, I'm tipping them to go all the way. I think it's going to go to extra time or penalties. I'm just hoping they can jag one during that time in extra time and, and put it to bed and hopefully uh, reward the Central Coast with more silverware. Uh, Quaz, the Jason Cummins um, situation, how do you see that? Like, he obviously played last week. Um, yep. He's obviously a part of the club. Um, yep. I'm assuming that it's based on the fact, and I don't know enough about it, and I'm happy for you to fill me in on this, but assuming the fact that he hasn't played in any of the FFA Cup games, therefore he doesn't qualify as such. Yeah, that's all I can put it down to. I think if, if you don't uh, play in any of the prior games in, in the Cup, um, then you're, you're you know, ineligible. I, I heard a, a story uh, out of the Central Coast Mariners' office that uh, the CEO, Sean Millicamp, was blowing up in his office uh, when he heard of the news uh, to the FA, but it just wasn't to be. It's, it's a bit of a setback. It would have been nice to have him involved in such a big game. Uh, we know what he's all capable of. Unfortunately, it won't be, won't be the case today. That being said, there's an opportunity for someone else to step up and, and be a big player in a big moment, in a big game. So I mm. uh, can't wait to see what uh, Nick Montgomery produces with his team today. 
Yeah, Quaz, I watched the press conference yesterday and there seemed to be a lot of negativity from the journalists about, you know, so the Jason Cummings situation, also about mm. the game not being played on the Central Coast. Now, wasn't it meant to be a transparent process where a name's drawn out of a hat? It sounds like yeah. reading through the lines that the Central Coast was just snubbed. As simple as that, we were the first team to qualify. Yeah, look, you know, I, I, you've got to attach a dollar... dollar um, tag uh, against this situation, I guess, you know, if you go to Central Coast Stadium, are you going to get you know, the 15,000, that probably the FA uh, want, uh, whereas if you go to Amy Park, I, I think you're going to get that sort of crowd today, so obviously yeah. they've, they've gone down that line, it's unfortunate for the Central Coast and the region, uh, they would have loved to have hosted a, a cup final as everyone would up there, uh, it just wasn't to be, but that being said, again, it's just another element for the Central Coast Mariners that backs against the wall, uh, us against the rest, and they just really need to go out there and do the business. Steve, I think you'll find that they did do the uh, name out of the hat, but there was only <laughs> the one name in there. There. Was only, yeah, there was two tickets, but it had both, both of them had Amy Park on it. Yeah. Hey, uh, Quaz, I just want to ask you, like, I feel like the Mariners, they certainly didn't get the rub of the green last week either. There was a penalty against the Mariners. Mm. Then there was an offside call where the flag actually went up. And it was a Babo goal against the Mariners at Leichhardt Oval. Fantastic game. Sydney ended up winning 3-2. And then last night, yeah. they've gone on to win 2-1. And now, can you believe Sydney FC is sitting on top of the table? But, you know, it just seems to be a recurring theme where the Mariners don't get calls. The referee overruled the linesman. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I'm, I must say, Steve, the last two games have played two big clubs in, in, in Melbourne City and, and Sydney FC. And you're right, there's been elements of each of those games where they haven't got the rub of the green. That being said, I, I think both those games, they had their moments to try and get something out of the game. And they just lacked that, that quality, that killer instinct. Um, as, you know, in, in regards to the actual decisions, you know, it is what it is. We just got to get, I'm sure, at the back end of the season, well, I'm hoping back end of the season, maybe that luck will change. Um, but uh, they've got it up against them today against a really strong Melbourne victory outfit. I'm hoping uh, that... Not only this game, if they can win this game, I think it will set them up for the rest of the season. What I mean by that, confidence, winning a piece of silverware. Um, I think there's a quick turnaround up against MacArthur on Thursday. If they can win this game, I think uh, we'll put them in good stead for the rest of the A-League season. Yeah, we've got a tough decision. We're going to be at Camp Hot Dog yes. watching Matty Graham in the Moguls. And at 8 o'clock... Maybe we need Steve Graham to have dual screens. I think so. I think he's got the ability to do that. <laughs> Hey, Quaz, just a quick one, mate, and we've got to head to the news. Um, just what does this mean if they do win? Uh, where do they progress from here? The Asian Cup or something along those lines, is it? Yeah, well, they do qualify for the, um, the Asian Cup, which would be a fantastic achievement. I think they go to the playoff stage of the Asian yep. Champions League, which is going to be fantastic for the club again, obviously being on the world stage. So hopefully they can pull it off. As I said, it's going to be a big ask, but uh, Nick Montgomery will get the best out of his players, that's for sure. Yeah, and uh, we're starting to run short of time. I, I wanted to talk about the Socceroos. Uh, do we call this a disastrous result against Oman early in the morning? I think it was on Wednesday morning, mm. and it finished two all. Uh, late penalty to Oman. It means that Australia are on 15 points in this Group B stage. Saudi Arabia 19, Japan 18, and we played both of those countries moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. As Graham Arnold would say, we've got to believe... Uh, two massive games coming up against Japan and Saudi Arabia, the two teams that are in that uh, automatic qualification spot. Look, 
Again, it's a big ask for the Socceroos. Um, I think Graham Arnold and, and the players have done a remarkable job to get them to this point of time. Hey, mate, how you going? <laughs> um, but uh, that being said, you know, they've got two big games. I just went past Simon Hill, then he's just dead ah, in the face. So, um, mate, yeah, yeah, great commentator. Yeah, great commentator. Could you let him know that you're on the air, mate, and with us? And, and he needs to, <laughs> yeah, you know, sorry. He, he knows how it, he knows how it rolls. Hey, by the way, if you look at the form guide, so if we play Japan, they've won their last five. So if you look at us, yeah. we've won one of our last five. Uh, I mean, Butes, you'd be able to talk about this in in terms of trying to turn your form around. Uh, so we've won one of the last five. Um, Saudi Arabia have won three of their last five. Yeah, and, and that's the difference right there. You know, one out of five is not good enough, and unfortunately, we're not getting the points that we need. Quaz, I just want to say congratulations, mate. It's a huge honour. Uh, to be able to present that uh, trophy tonight to Wally Bazanic. Yeah, well, yeah, well, just to you know <laughs> to go out so. to be recognised as uh, you know one of those players that got the ability to do that. I think it's fantastic, mate. And we thank you for your time this morning. We've got to head to the news, mate. But uh, go the uh, Mariners uh, tonight because it's a big ass. David and Goliath. We're going to do our best. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff, Quaz. Enjoy your trip and looking forward to seeing you tonight. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. Adam Kwasnick, live from Sydney Airport. Butch, you've just hijacked the show. Yeah, you've I taken heard, over. Yeah, yeah, I heard Adam saying, mate, get to the news. Get to the news. Yeah, we'll catch up with uh, Hayden Smith in a couple of moments' time, one of the best Iron Men in the country. Mm. Uh, he'll talk to us about Ocean Beach celebrating their 100th anniversary mm. in 2022. His dad was a huge part of that Surf Life Saving Club. So really looking forward to Hayden Smith joining us after the news on SEN. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Yeah, we're back live at Shelley Beach Golf Course overlooking the 18th. And it looks like some of this cloud's blowing away. We're seeing some sunshine and a couple of groups on their way down the 18th. So we'll see a couple of approach shots in just a few moments' time. Uh, Can you guys, uh, Pete, can you grab the microphone uh, our oh. technician. Are we going to have a rant of well, some sort? I just heard you guys talking <laughs> off the air about Justin Langer and about the contract with Cricket Australia. What more? Uh, I, I mean, I overheard what you guys were saying, but I was also concentrating on the direction of this show. <laughs> uh, but what, One of us has to. <laughs> uh, what I would say is, uh, what more can the guy do? He's ticked every single box, Butte. Yeah, oh, look... Uh, there was complaints internally about his coaching technique and that he was too hard on players. Bedside manner. Right, right, whatever it is. But you know what? Ultimately, he's changed that approach, okay? He's adapted and, and you know, accepted that, you know, he may have been a little bit too hard on the players, etc. They've taken out the T20 World Cup, Pete. They've taken out the Ashes 4-0. And in fact, it was all but one wicket from being an absolute whitewash. And here we are right now. He's knocked back a six-figure bonus... Uh, payment because he felt it was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to accept that payment during COVID. And here we are discussing whether he should or shouldn't be the Australian coach. Like, seriously, this is ridiculous, Pete. What more can he do? He was asked to do several things, Michael, you just said. He did all of those. The results speak for that. And now they still don't know whether they want him. Where's the problem? I actually think it makes Australian cricket and the board there look like a bunch of Oh, don't say it, Butch. A bunch of fools. Big, <laughs> the big F word was coming out. <laughs> a bunch of fools. Because you know what? Oh, I don't think any other sporting organisation would be looking at their coach and going, mate, you've had this success, this success, this success, but we're not sure whether we're going to resign you or not. And an eight-hour meeting, to decide, and they still don't know? 
Yeah. And, and don't forget, boys, Chris Silverwood, the English coach, has been boned this week as well. So they put a caretaker coach in. I think it's Strauss is the new coach. But, you know, Justin Langer, he could be the England coach if he knew where his, where his pathway was you, heading. You lose 4-0, right? You deserve to get sacked. You accept that. Correct. You win 4-0. And they're doubting whether you should be a part of this side or not. Like, seriously. It's almost as though they don't want him, but they haven't stitched up the replacement yet. Well, I don't know what sort of replacement they're trying to get, right? Mm. Because, again, this is going to be the... Whatever decision they make... And this is the problem, I believe, in sport, when you talk about boards, right? They all want to have some sort of impact, right? They all want to think that they have had something significant. You know what? Sometimes the status quo is all right. And the impact that you're having is to leave it how it is and continue to have the success that we're having. Because what? how much further can we go in terms of our success at the moment as the Australian cricket side? What needs to be improved? And I, I'm not sure I can see how, get, how getting rid of the coach... He's going to improve that. We've got the best bowling lineup, probably... I dare say, and I don't know, but based on our stats, we've probably got the best bowling lineup that we have ever had in Australian cricket, right? Based on their stats. Hazelwood, Cummins, Stark, Lyons, right? And then you've got a couple of other guys, Green and whatever else, who are doing okay. And, you know, there's that guy called Boland who's, <laughs> yeah. who got five for six or six for seven, Yeah. right? So he goes, all right. You've got two of the best batsmen in the world at the moment in Labashane and Smith. You've got a pretty decent opener in uh, Dave Warner, who goes okay. And you know what? The rest of our... Like, you're only talking about two or three and players. You uh, haven't even mentioned Head, who got player of the series. Right. Is this a conversation you had at Terrigal uh, at, at the Beery last night? No, it's not. But it's, I'm happy to have this discussion because I just it just blows me away that we are still a week or two into this discussion as to whether he should be yeah, resigned or not. it's ludicrous. Uh, speaking of the Beery, a message just came through on 0477-736-736. Text line 0477-736-736. Uh, it says here, Butes on the 10th, you know, where the young young boy had the yes. hole in one. Butes on the 10th went straight into the maintenance shed <laughs> about 60 metres down on the right. So... Nowhere near the green. Buttes on the 10th into the maintenance shed. Is that the narc? Uh, I can't say. No, I no, can't you can't reveal your sources. No, of course I can't. And, right. uh, Adam, can we throw back to the studio? There's a message there from the bald badger. Yes, indeed. Uh, so, morning velvet fog and Buttes <laughs> on my way to Sydney to get on the bird to Melbourne for FFA final. VIP all the way tonight, thanks to Sean and the Mighty Mariners. Love the bald badger. Yeah, right. VIP all the way. What the, how does he do this, the bald badger? Seriously. I've seen him around the, you know, obviously he goes to, he must be, you know what he's like? I reckon he's like the pest. Yeah. Right? I was going to say, he must know some secrets. Some deep, deep dark secrets. He's the little pest that, oh, there he is again. Everywhere Sean Mellencamp turns, there's the bald badger right behind him. Yeah, you know what he might have done? He might have washed Sean Millicamp's hair. Oh. <laughs> oh, we're off to a break. Back in a few moments' time. This is Saturdays on the Coast on SEM. BJ Howes Metal Land. The Coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEM Track.
Yeah, good morning. I hope you're enjoying the weekend so far. And right. like us, we're super pumped. We're draped in green and gold. Oh, fact, how good. We found the boxing kangaroo that we've had since 1983 when Australia 2 defeated uh, uh, Dennis Connor <laughs> at Rhode Island Sound. And uh, we're, we're ready to go. Were you a sailor at any stage back well, in the 80s? Or uh, I, can, I, can, Beach, I can tell you because I know the audience love my stories yeah, from the yeah. 1980s. <laughs> Steve-O went for an early morning swimming squad yep. uh, in 1983. And Australia 2 with John Bertrand and Ben Lexon uh, and Alan Bond, of course, fundraising everything. We were behind at that stage, behind Liberty. And it looked like there was no way we were going to catch the Americans. Mm-hmm. So Steve-O went and punched out a swimming squad <laughs> at Mike Wendon's swimming pool. Mike Wendon, of course, Olympic gold medalist. Yep. When Steve-O gets out of the pool, Australia 2 are back oh, in front. Here we go. Yeah. And so... Is that, the, is that the day that you had that vest around your waist <laughs> and it was like a wing keel? Yeah. Like it was just a little mini wing keel that you had? So we create history. Yeah. Uh, you know, those immortal words from Bob Hawke. Yeah, yeah, of course. That any boss that sacks a worker, a worker is a bum. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, the immortal words yeah. of Bob Hawke. Hey, let's go live to uh, the best Ironman on the Central Coast. Mm. Uh, last week, he had a big win at Nobby's in Newcastle. I think tomorrow he's doing the legendary Cole Classic Swim. And also, he's uh, really celebrating the fact that Ocean Beach are turning 100 this year. Hayden Smith, uh, standing ovation for you, mate. Good morning. Morning, Steve-O. Mate, I nearly fell asleep then listening to your stories about you swimming training in 1983. Thanks for having me on. Hayden, apparently he had the ability to turn around Australia 2's fortunes, which is just amazing, <laughs> just by going for a swim. So, so who yeah, knows what could happen. Hey, mate, uh, so uh, hit us with Ocean Beach turning 100 and... Um, down, uh, down on the peninsula, there's, uh, there's banners of your dad, who's a legend at that surf club. But tell us more on what it means to you. Um, Ocean Beach was uh, Ocean Beach Surf Life Saving Club was my life growing up. I um, growing up at your minor in the 80s and 90s. I I spent so much time at the surf club every afternoon, all weekend, with uh, a bunch of my mates that we're all sort of like-minded into the same things that I am now. And I, I think my my time, my early years in the surf club, I reckon I learned the lessons around uh, resilience, around not meeting your goals and getting back up and trying a bit harder over and over again until you get there. Um, those are the sort of lessons I learned at Ocean Beach Surf Club um, that have sort of helped me later in life for sure. Because, I mean, I wasn't a... Um, successful competitor when I was a young kid by any stretch of the imagination. So I spent my early years just trying to be competitive Ocean Beach Surf Club um, before I sort of took any level up from there. But it's, I've got so many fond memories. Obviously, my dad's a, um, a life member of the Surf Club and um, has had a lot of achievements in Surf Life Saving Australia, but I'm, I'm really proud to be affiliated with the club. Um, and it's such a huge part of my life for sure. I love what you say there, Hayden, and I think it's a reflection of most junior sports um, that, you know, when young kids get involved and, and their parents are, you know, entrenched in it and supportive and all those things, that there's so many valuable lessons that you can take from that that stick with you for a very long time, if not probably for the rest of your life. Uh, and if you take that on board and, and embrace that, then suddenly... It certainly makes you a better person, and you know ultimately you've had a hell of a lot of success on the back of those lessons that you that you learn as a young uh, young nipper. 
absolutely, and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I didn't see my early years not not being a successful competitor. I never saw that as a, a deficiency or a downer. It was just sort of where I was, and I was actually, I loved training. I loved keeping fit. I loved all my mates at the surf club, and uh, I sort of embraced the challenge of just trying to improve a couple of percent year on year, and you know, that's 30, 25, 30 years ago now, and that's probably compounded that 1%, 2% each year for, for 25 to 30 years ends up making a big difference in the long run. Hey, Hayden, did your dad become a light member in 1984? And uh, he, I know he was also an OAM. Can you share some more stories? Yep. Because I believe, did he come back from Ocean Beach in America and that also had something to do with the logo at Ocean Beach on the peninsula here? Yeah, dad was in a manager of a surf saving Australia or New South Wales team uh, and came back from Ocean Beach Surf Club in California, got permission from, from the club in California to take their logo back. So the Ocean Beach Surf Club logo uh, on the Central Coast, Ocean Beach Surf saving Club, is actually the same logo as Ocean Beach mm. Surf Club in California, which is a great story. And um, yeah, my dad's one of only, I think, three people in Australia that have life membership at every level from their local surf club, their branch, the state, Surf Australia and International Life Saving. And he's a member of, a member of the um, Hall of Fame, Surf Life Saving Australia Hall of Fame. So still a really fond memory. It's quite amazing. I, I went to Dad's Hall of Fame dinner, the Aussie titles in 2007. Just actually a few months before he passed away and it was funny, so my dad got inducted to the Hall of Fame and so did Kai Hurst, who I actually grew up competing against is the same age as me. So it was funny, it was a guy I competed alongside against and my dad getting inducted the same night. Yeah, and uh, all of my dear friends here on the Central Coast, when they talk about your dad, they talk about him with such uh, regard, esteem, respect, uh, because he was hugely successful outside of surf life saving in his everyday life. Yeah, he was chief inspector in the police force and head of New South Wales Legal Services in the police. And being back in the surf club um, the last sort of three years when I moved back to the coast, I, I've really enjoyed going to surf carnivals. And one thing that I really love is seeing Dad's mates myself and share some stories with me about Dad. But I have absolutely come to believe that, or realise, sorry, that no matter what level of success I achieve in business or competitive, I will never um, I will never be held in the same esteem as my dad in surf life saving and um, I'll, I'll do my best but I'm comfortable that I'll never reach the heights that he set. Oh, I think you're being far too humble mate because you're already gaining legendary status here on the coast at all different levels and not just in surf life saving. Beauty. Yeah, yeah, 100% mate. Uh, mate, I think um, just on the ocean beach and it's celebrating 100 years, what, what is the club doing? Have they got some celebrations or uh, events uh, to celebrate this momentous occasion? Yeah, they, they had a, um, a showcasing event last weekend down at the surf club and then they actually had a, a gala dinner which um, has been postponed. It was supposed to be last weekend, but because of the restrictions of COVID and the impact of COVID at the moment, they've postponed it for a couple of months. But um, there's five mates and myself, including myself and our wives. There was just a core group of, of guys that I grew up with. We've all got a table at the uh, the gala dinner, which mm-hmm. even now a lot of us live on the coast, but we a few of us catch up regularly. But it's going to be great to be all back together, and I'm really looking forward to, to the night when it comes around in a couple of months' time. 
Peter, uh, is that correct? You won at Nobby's last week in a, an ocean swim, and are you doing the legendary Cole Classic tomorrow? And is it the 40th oh. anniversary of the Cole? It is, yeah. So I, I did win overall the Nobby's Newcastle swim last week, which which was great. I actually beat a, a guy, Saxon Coates, who's the Australian under-19 board champion uh, mm. in, a, in a tight race last weekend. And But I really, really enjoyed the swim. I entered at last minute. I thought I can go and do that before I go to work for the day. And to be honest, I did it because I thought that I wasn't swimming as well as I could or should be. Um, and over the last month, I've tried to focus and knuckle down on my swimming and do uh, more work. So each each time I'm swimming the squad, I stay back and do a couple of K extra, and it seems to have paid off in the last month. So I thought, oh, I'll go and enter the cold classic tomorrow. So taking the family down after work today, and I'll have a swim. It's the 40th anniversary, and it's the first time I've ever done it, so I'm really looking forward to it. Oh. Yeah, fantastic. So there's I one... Swimming, I am swimming tomorrow with the great man, Paul Lamont, who last night broke the... It's quite incredible. Last night, Paul Lamont broke the Australian record in the 55 to 59 years, 400 freestyle in a time of 4 minutes and 25 seconds. So for anyone that knows swimming, 4 minutes, 25, 400 freestyle is very, very fast for a good swimmer. When you are 55 years old, it is mind-blowing. So he broke the Australian record by six seconds last night. So, mate, I'll, um, I'll have to be on my A game to keep up or try and beat him tomorrow. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, what about that? The, yeah. the evergreen Paul Lamont. Hey, Hayden, it's been awesome having you on the show, mate, hearing some stories about Ocean Beach. Also hearing about your legendary father, mate, and we really appreciate your time this morning. Good luck tomorrow. I reckon you'll be hard to beat. I've got some money on you in the Cole Classic, and thanks again for your time. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Hayden Smith joining us, the captain of the Central Coast Surf Life Saving Team and just a superb athlete. And congratulations to everyone on the peninsula at Ocean Beach Surf Life Saving Club celebrating their 100th anniversary in 2022. We're off to the news. We're back to talk some tennis with David Hall right after this on SEN, Saturdays on the Coast. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast with Steve Allen and Michael Butner on SEN Track. Yeah, good morning. Live from Shelley Beach Golf Course, back at our spiritual home. We love it here. And Butner, yeah. a couple of results through the week. You would have seen that we posted about Molly Picklam mm. uh, making her world tour debut at Pipeline on the North Shore in Hawaii. And Molly won her first round heat. Great backhand barrel. And she defeated Sally Fitzgibbons, the Olympian and mm. legendary Aussie surfer. And also Courtney Conalogue from California, who finished third in that heat. Uh, Courtney's a two-time runner-up on the world tour. Um, Molly, Molly, another one of our Danica Clark Foundation scholarship holders. We've talked about Ray Anderson today, Maddie Graham. My goodness, it just keeps rolling on. Nicola McDermott. Yeah, with uh, Molly, she went out in round three against jo- Joanne Defay. Yep. Uh, narrowly, like a really close third-round heat that was. So she finishes equal ninth in her first contest on the world tour. I've got to say, on debut in your first in a tour event, yeah, she's got to be extremely happy with her performance. Well, when I posted something on the uh, Facebook page on SEN the other day, I, I think there was around about 1,000 views and mm. so many people uh, rallying around her performance, uh, part of North Shelley Board Riders, of course. They're down to the semifinals, so Tyler Wright will face Moana Jones-Wong and Carissa Moore 
she would be the one I'm backing in this contest, Carissa Moore. I think she's like a five-time world champion up against the American Lakey Peterson. On the men's side, Buttes, did you see Kelly Slater? He got the job done with three seconds left earlier in the week. Absolutely incredible for a 50-year-old. He's 50. Are you kidding me? Is that what he is? Is he seriously 50? Because, you know what, that is phenomenal. You know, we talk about, and we're going to talk about Tom Brady a little bit later on and, you know, the GOAT and how good he was. This guy is phenomenal to think that he's still doing this stuff after so long. How many times has he won it? Is it 11-time world champion? Yeah. Like, you know, that is just absolutely phenomenal to well, think that he is out there still, compete, not only competing, but also you know, performing at a level that is still better than most. Yeah, I stand correct, Buttes. He's 50 in six days from now. Right. So. Oh, it's 49. Oh, so. that's, oh, well, he should be performing at that level at 49. But once yeah. he gets to 50, <laughs> mate, he'll need a walking frame on that board of his. And he's through to the uh, quarterfinals. He'll fo- face uh, Kanoa Igarashi, Miguel Pupo up against Luca Messinas mm. in the other quarterfinal. Uh, Seth Maniz up against John John Florence. I'll be back in John John Florence to mm-hmm. get the job done at home. Uh, Kaioa Belly, this is the all-Brazilian matchup. Kaioa Belly up against Sam Pupo in the quarters at Pipeline. Hey, uh, rise is one, Buttes. Time for a standing ovation. Uh, one of the greatest wheelchair tennis players yeah. of all time and Central Coast local, David Hall, joining us. Good morning, mate. Good morning, boys. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, we're well, and... I tell you, my week, I've still been recovering from that late night on Sunday watching Rafa up against Medvedev. What a game of tennis. Uh, I've got to be honest, I went to bed after the fourth set because I thought this won't finish till about 1.30 a.m. And Rafa gets the job done in five. Uh, I sent Butes a text during the night that the great ones, they never, ever roll over. You're talking about a 20-time Grand Slam winner going for 21 when you two sets down, you just don't fold up your cards and take off. Like, you are going to fight tooth and nail, and that's what we saw from Rafa. Yeah, what can you say about Rafa? Like, I, I could bring up so many boxing analogies. You know, he was on the ropes. He was down for the count. Uh, the way he lost that second set, like, I thought, I thought, oh, he's in trouble here because he was yeah. leading, he was ahead the whole set, had to break a serve. It looked like he was going to win that set and it was going to be a set all. And then he loses it in the breaker. And I thought, oh, man, this is a long way back. Yep. Like, in this moment, you know, Grand Slam final, you've got Medvedev who's playing very well. And, like, you think of it, it took him another three and a half hours to, to turn that around, to, to actually end up winning 7-5 in the fifth. And that is... You would have to say it's one of Rafa's best ever wins. Yeah, I have no doubt about that, Holly. And it probably takes you back to rope-a-dope, where <laughs> maybe Medvedev was a dope. And after hearing his press conference after the match, he probably sounded like one when he's blaming the crowd. So that's up against George Foreman. Yes, correct. And I just, But you know what, mate? I've got to say, after the second set, I turned it off. Right, and I could stop Winks, to be honest. If <laughs> all right, if Winks was racing on a donkey, the donkey would win because I'd be back in Winks. But I just, it was unbelievable. I turned it off. I just went. There is no way, after what he did in that, how hard he had to work in that second set, but to still lose it. Right, I just went. You know what? That's got to crush yeah. any man. But I wake up the next morning to see that he, and this is why he is, you know, he's won twenty-one Grand Slams and is, you know. 
stands alone. Yeah, let's Rodney. go back to the studio. Let's just relive that moment when Rafael Nadal clinches Grand Slam title number 21. To create history, 13 years after winning his first ever Australian Open. He's been the bridesmaid a few times. Can he be the winner again? Backhand by Medvedev at the middle. Big off forehand by Nadal. He's on the stretch there, Medvedev. Beautiful volley by Nadal. He's done it. He's done it. In one of the most spectacular tennis matches that I've ever witnessed. The comeback is one for the ages. A 35-year-old who never knows how to give up. Yeah, there we go. I want to talk about Medvedev in a few moments' time, but let's relive this moment. And I've got to say, I called it on Saturday night. We were loving this match. My son, Corey, and my wife, Sharon, uh, we were on the edge of our seat through the game. But Mm. when Ash Barty was down 1-5, I actually said, I think she can win this in two sets. And wow, what a performance by the Aussie. First time in over 40 years. Uh, the house was rocking. Yvonne Goolagong-Corley came out for the presentation. Doesn't that get was, much better. That was just such a beautiful touch. Here's the moment where Ash wins the Aussie Open. Here we go. Four championship points. Now Collins will put the serve into play to the Barty chip return up the middle. Collins went cross-court the back end. Ash digs it out. Collins looking to go up the line. Ash on the forehand cross-court. She's done it. She's done it. <laughs> Ash Barty <laughs> has broken the drought of 44 years. She is the Australian Open champion. Yeah. What I'm going to tell you. to save her. Some raw... <laughs> Emotion from Ash that we don't always get to see. Wow. That was the only emotion she showed. Hey, uh, that's why we love working for SEN, Sports Entertainment Network. He's done a great job, that commentator, but... It's, mate, like, it's like a race caller. Yeah, he was on something there. I don't know what it was. He was going 100 mile an hour. But that's you've got to call the game because people can't see it. Uh, Hawley, what a performance. You know what, mate? She absolutely dominated the entire tournament. Like, every game. In fact, the only period where she was in trouble or appeared to be in trouble, was those four or five games in that second set there where Collins just sort of gained a little bit of ascendancy, but she was able to compose herself, which she is so good at. She just collects her thoughts, gets back into the game, and, mate, it was probably the most deserved uh, Grand Slam win for any Australian, and she's broken a 42-year drought. 44. 44-year drought for the Australians. What, what an amazing performance, and her, humi- and her humility is second to none. Yeah, that's it, Butes. And I think that's the wonderful thing about her, that she is so humble. And I think Australians do love a humble champion. I think it does. I think it does mean yep. a lot. And like I, I did say before this match, I thought this would be about Ash's serve and nerve. And she did both brilliantly. Even when Collins mm. came back in that second set, she just, she held a nerve. You know, she didn't panic. And then when she could claw her way back and get it into a breaker, she pretty much just had all the momentum like yep. going on from there. And then like even winning match point and she just screams. Like it was like a, you know, a release of relief and I did it and now I'm the Australian Open champion and I don't have to 
worry about that particular kind of pressure uh, for the rest of my career. Now I can just focus on winning the US Open, trying to get that, that four Grand Slam set, which, to be honest, you know, not many women have done that in, in the 100 years of, of all four Grand Slam tournament tennis. Just think of this. Only nine women have ever won all the slams in their mm. career. We've got Maureen Connolly, Shirley Fry, Doris Hart from back in the 50s. Then we've got Margaret Court, Billie Jean King, Chris Evert, Navratilova, Sharapova, and Serena. That's it. Mm. No one else. And that's, that's a long, that's 100 years worth of Grand Slam tennis. There's only nine women. I think Ash, yeah. she could do it at the US Open uh, and complete that set. I'll tell you, that's illustrious company. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I've got to say, with Sam Stozer on her way out and now playing a last Australian Open, I thought it was a long way back for Aussie women. I can't believe now we've got a woman who suddenly won three Grand Slam titles. Like, I find that it seems to have happened overnight that Ash has burst on the scene. But let's not forget she was a child prodigy, yep. walked away from the sport, and now... Yeah, like, gee, I tell you, you've you've got to thank her doubles partner for her coming back, Casey Delacqua, and being better than ever. Yeah, that's it, Stephen. Like, twenty five years old. When you think about it, if she wants, like, if she's got the motivation and the desire, she could have another seven, eight, nine years worth of tennis. Like, she's holy, been pretty much holy. injury free. I mean, that's the key, yeah. I think. But if she keeps motivated stays motivated she's got a long long career ahead of her mate i've got to say i look at her game right and you know you think about serena williams it was all about power and what have you she just seems to have this well-balanced game her slice is obviously very very good in fact it turns on a right angle they describe it as probably the best in world tennis male or female imagine mike gatting trying to play that yeah yeah, correct um (laughs) you know what not only is her game so well-rounded that she is mentally stronger than any other player out there at the moment. And it seems to be one of her biggest advantages. And her team have done an amazing job to get her to this point. And she makes reference to that. And I heard her um, in uh, answering some questions time and time again. And it was never about her performance. It was always about we. And I love that about her Mm. and how important that is. Yeah, hold that thought, boys. Uh, David, can you stay with us for one more break this morning? Yeah, no problem. Oh, hey, Dave, I also want to ask you, mate, have you got a manager? Because you should be working for Nine's Wide World of Sports. You are the best in the business. Why, why haven't you got a gig at the tennis? Because uh, Butes and I... What about the research you just did about those nine women? We want to be your manager. Yes. What do you think, Butes? <laughs> Let's get him a start. Let's get him a start. Yeah. We're off to a break. Back... Sign that contract. Back in a few moments' time. It's Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhouse.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Yeah, we're going back to uh, David Hall. Uh, I've got to say, Steve, I'm glad we've got Hawley for two breaks because the Australian Open was sensational. There was so much action. And I've got to tell you, the success of the Australians was absolutely brilliant. It kept us uh, captivated. Uh, throughout the whole tournament, and you know we haven't touched on the the special cage yet either. But that performance by Ash Barty, Dave, was you know phenomenal. And I, and I just look at it, and I, and I can't see any reason why she won't continue to dominate women's tennis. 
for well, at least this year anyway. Hey, by the way, for our audience who may not know David Hall, uh, grew up here on the Central Coast, uh, Budgie Woy. In fact, I've been pushing for a statue up there. Yep. David, gold medalist in the Paralympics <laughs> in Sydney in 2000, won every tournament there was to win, including the US Open. He won the British Open, won the Japan Open, I think, eight times. Mate. Just incredible. He's the... Well, the ver- he's a Dylan Orcourt, Orcourt from 20 years ago. Yeah, but I, I think... But maybe better. Uh, he's better. Yeah, he, yeah, okay. He's the GOAT. Yeah, yeah. Well, No doubt about it. And, and unfortunately, Dave, I know that the... You know, we're constantly seeing now the elevation of um, uh, disabled athletes and, 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 you know, justifiably so. But, mate, it, it's hard to not get caught up in your achievements and how good they were. Well, I think uh, it's a great question, and we'll go to Dave for his answer in a second, but... David, Louise Savage, yes. Kurt Fernley. You paid the way, my 100%. friend. 100%. Well, thanks for that, guys. No, I do appreciate that. It was, look, we, I think, you know, when you're an athlete, you just, you love competing. I, for me, I love my era because I think wheelchair tennis was just going through a lot of transitional change. It was moving from a recreational sport into the professional level. And, and I had 15 years of, Traveling the world, trying to reach goals, chasing goals. Um, you know, my dreams did come true. You know, winning gold medals, winning U.S. Opens and, and Australian Opens, and, and getting to number one. And I think I just love the history of wheelchair tennis, and I think it's important for today's athletes to recognise the athletes and the players that have come before them. And I think, look, tennis in general does a great job of that. I think the current you know, you look at the, the Federers and the Raffers and those kind of players, they have reverence for the players that have come from the past. And I think that's, that's important because without those players from the past, there wouldn't have been that, that path that, that's been laid. So I think, so I think that's a big, a big thing for current athletes to kind of have that, that kind of reverence. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the other person that paved the way, in my opinion, is Liesl Tesh, seven-time Paralympian in two sports, wheelchair basketball and also sailing, where she won two gold medals in London and also Rio in 2016. David, critical question for you here. Medvedev, on the verge of winning his second Grand Slam. He's got form in terms of these temper tantrums and fighting with the crowd. He's done that overseas. So what we saw in Australia was just a carbon copy of what he's done previously. Uh, I guess maybe trying to pump himself up where he has these running battles, not just with the crowd, but also with the, with the umpire at the match. How much does it hurt him psychologically that he couldn't get over the line against Rafa? It's a fine line, isn't it? Because you've got this energy built up inside you. You're in the pressure of the moment, a Grand Slam final, and, and you're trying to get yourself over the line. You're trying to use that energy for good. And sometimes you can, it, it's misdirected. And, and I think whether it just takes you out of the moment or you just can't quite get over the line. Look, I think last year at the US Open, when he beat Novak, I think Novak was just worn out. Like, mm-hmm. all that pressure, he'd done so much winning during the year, trying to chase the, the calendar year Grand Slam. And I think if you have one of the greatest players of all time, such as Rafa, on the other side of the net, and you, and you just can't quite put him away, those kind of guys are just going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And I think, look, 
sometimes within these five and a half hour long matches, there's just these little five minute periods where if you just don't quite play your best tennis, the guy on the other side of the net can make a run, get a break, win a set, and that completely changes the momentum. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what that's what Rafa did. But look, Medvedev is a world class player, number two in the world. I, he, I think he will win more slams, but it's just a matter of directing all that energy that can be used for bad, trying to shift that into those those five minute critical times where he can get himself over the line. Dave, it's hard to argue, you know, with the likes of Rafa, Federer and Novak that probably the last 10, 12, 15 years has probably been the greatest or most dominant era in men's tennis amongst three players, right? Um, where does I know his position now with 21 grand slams. Where do you see Rafa sitting amongst those other two guys, Novak and Roger? And I say that because he has been so dominant at the French Open. I think it's nine titles. But 13. 13. Well, that's ridiculous. 13. Yeah. Wow. Nine yeah. was ridiculous, but 13 is unbelievable. Right. <laughs> where does he sit compared to these guys? You know, if you, if you had to rank them, and I'd like you to do so, and I'm putting a lot of pressure on you. How would you rank them based on what you've seen over the last 12, 13, 15 years? I think Federer, just in the way he plays, the, mm-hmm. the class, the way he glides around the court, you could say it is a classical style. Look, if someone was to say Federer is the greatest ever, I, you couldn't argue with that, even though when it all is said and done, he might not actually end up with the most Yep. In fact, he, odds are he probably won't. Mm-hmm. But just in terms of pure talent and skill, I think you could say Federer is the greatest ever. But yep. I said I said last week, Rafa is like the guy that the mafia gets to go around and get the protection money from uh, all the businesses. You know, he's the bull. <laughs> he's the heavy. Like, he's the guy. He's a lot like Leighton, I think, in some ways. He's the guy that if you want one guy playing for, for one your match, life. playing for your life, Yep. you want Rafa because he will run through a brick wall. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Novak, who is, uh, he's grit, he's dirty, he's, he's willing to get down and use that, that energy I was talking about Medvedev with. He can kind of direct it a little bit better. And he, you've got to respect Novak because a lot of other players were beaten in the locker room before they, they played Fed or Rafa, but not Novak. He was... I'm going to stand up to these guys. I know I'm a world-class player. I won the Australian Open back in 2008. I know I've got the ability to go on this multiple slam run. But, look, I think if you're a Rafa fan right now, you'd be, you'd be pretty happy because no one knows if Federer is going to come back. Like yeah. his, his doctors have said, you can't run right now. You can't put load on your knee. And then you've got Novak, like with the whole vaccination situation, you, know, you just don't know what France are going to do, what the UK, the US, like what's going to happen. There's just a lot of question marks around those other two. So I think when it's all said and done, Rafa at the moment is looking pretty good to end up with that, that Grand Slam record. Yeah, we've just got a couple of minutes left here, Dave. Uh, we just saw a beautiful approach shot from a young lady from probably about 30 or 40 metres off the green, and she's pin high to the right-hand side and uh, got an unlucky bounce, in my opinion. Could have been even closer to the flag. Hey, uh, we've just got to roll in this audio. You mentioned about humble champions earlier. This is Kyrgios. 
after his doubles win. I would say that we've created probably the best atmosphere that this tournament's ever seen, um, to be brutally honest with you. Um, Ash's father came to us and said the crowd was the best he's ever seen. And obviously Ash is a hell of a player, but I think the ratings speak for themselves. People watch my matches. Every, everywhere I play around the world, the stadiums are full for, what, for that reason. So I don't think those people that are screaming out four points are produced from us. That's not nothing to do with us, to be honest. Um, but there's a reason why the, the ratings are the way they are and people are glued to the TV when we play. So um, speaks for itself, really. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Kyrgios and Kokonakis, winners against Ebden and Max Purcell from the Central Local Coast. Boy, listen. Seven, five, six, four. Hawley, Hawley, Hawley. <laughs> Can somebody bake him a piece of humble pie, actually a big bloody humble pie, and get him to eat it? In fact, I think you need to force feed it down his throat, right? Because, you know, that's sort of crap, right? Seriously, that sort of crap he doesn't need to say, right? Just... <laughs> be humble, a little bit more humble, because ultimately, you know what, he's got a lot of talent, there's no doubt about that, what they did and what they brought to the tournament was fantastic but don't be a yeah, yeah. DH. Hawley, you don't even have to answer, no. mate. Uh, let's wrap it up there. Great to have you on the show, my friend. <laughs> Standing ovation. Yeah, outstanding, Hawley. We Thanks. love having you on, mate. You're outstanding. What a legend. Uh, great to have you, mate. We'll talk soon. Thanks, boys. Take care. See you later. Yeah, we'll definitely talk to him, because yeah. I think we're going to manage him from here on in. We might get a little cut. He is yeah, the yeah. best in the business. Uh, off to the news. We're back soon. We'll talk some cricket. The women got the job done against uh, the English this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk to Gary Birkinshaw in a few moments' time. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. BJ Howes Metal Land. The Coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. We're live at Shelley Beach Golf Course and uh, quite a gorgeous day now, Buttes. It's still very windy, but lots of sunshine here overlooking the 18th. And they're rolling in. They're uh, obviously, when we started this show, there wasn't so many people out on the course, but they're starting to roll in, mate, which is great to see and some good golf happening. Now, Buttes, how are you feeling? Are you nervous? Oh, I know you've come out swinging this morning, but, you know, you've had a hard act to follow with Gary, the guru, Birkinshaw. I mean, he's the new filling guy and he's putting enormous pressure on you to retain your spot. Well, that's okay. And and it's great that he's, you know, putting that pressure on me because I think it's important that you don't rest on your laurels, uh, unlike yourself, who's been doing that for a while now. So um, we'll just see how that all plays out. Like Burko, like I said, I've got seven tournaments up at Coffs Harbour, so he's going to get a fair bit of action. Um, and again, this may be a dress rehearsal for what's coming up over yeah. the next couple of weeks. And don't forget, Tony Clark too is uh, mm. nipping at his heels. Oh. I think both of them. I mean... Let's cite the depth. We've got depth like the Australian cricket side in the bowling. Yes. Like, it's just unbelievable. It just He could be the, I think, Burko, or the guru, sorry, Yeah, is the Scotty Boland of the SEN Saturdays on the once, Coast team. Once we hit the footy season, though, uh, you know what TC's like. Oh Well, I, and, I, I do know what he's like, but I've heard the guru. He knows everything. Like, he could be, <laughs> he could get across... Uh, rugby league. Like Are you saying like. TC needs to broaden his knowledge? Well, possibly if he wants to step up to the mark because the guru's got plenty to offer. Hey, uh, speaking of the guru. Oh, he's here. Well, <laughs> he's, he's on the, he's he's on on the, the line. line right now. Wow. Good morning, mate. Gentlemen, how are I'm not even near, near you all standard, mate. I'm just there, just happy just to come along nah. and do my little bit, mate. You're, you're, the, you're, you're the champion in there, mate. You're right, mate. You're not near my standard. You are way above it, which is great. <laughs> hey, Guru, last week we're at the uh, we're at the country cricket champs. How did it unfold? So the Central Coast winners on day one 
when we left, when we got off the air last week, they're in a real battle on day two. Fill us in. Yeah, mate, look, uh, mate, they seem to go downhill after you left, Steve. I don't know why. It must have been the advice you were giving them while, while the broadcast was going on. But unfortunately, after a good win on day one, we went down uh, to Central North on, on day two. And like I said, it was a very titanic battle we had. But we went down by, uh, by 31 runs on day two. And then day three, we played Newcastle. We got 250 and we got bowled out for 199. So the funny thing about that, both games were in a position to win, but just lost vital wickets at uh, vital times and uh, and we're not able to get over the line unfortunately. Again it gives the girls some great experience though mate Yeah look we uh, we had seven debutants play over the weekend and uh, and so it was, was, was quite an experience for some for some of them there and, you know, it was a big step up, Newcastle won the yeah. carnival they're always the benchmark so um, but you know we, Disappointing. I suppose we thought we probably could have won the carnival, but uh, to walk away with one win, I think that was disappointing, especially when we probably could have won all three. Mate, the uh, the women's Ashes played out uh, last week. Uh, it went down to the final couple of overs. Uh, the Aussies couldn't take that uh, final wicket, and the Poms couldn't get the twelve. I think it was twelve runs that they needed, uh, which took us into the one day is where that was going to determine who was going to win the Ashes. And uh, fortunately for the Aussies, they got the job done. I think it was a twenty-seven run victory uh, to the Aussies. Some good performances though from the girls. Yeah, look, that's been a fantastic series so far. Unfortunately, two of the T20 matches were washed out, but the first the first T20 match, very Duntali McGrath with with ninety ninety not out was certainly a star there. And, and the Ashes, the Test match, and they get to play very few longer format games, very few Test matches, which is disappointing for the women. But you know, when you go down to the last over a four-day game, and both sides can still win, and and then you don't come out with a winner as a draw, I think it was it was a fitting conclusion. What well, was a fantastic match, and full credit to both sides. And the one-day game the other day, where they actually saw Australia clinch the Ashes, they they were in all sorts of trouble with the bat, and looked like that that England were going to win that game. But once again, some good, solid, middle and late order batting uh, got Australia over the line with some, certainly the help of some very, very good bowling from some of their youngsters. Yeah, well, I, I guess the key was... <clears throat> excuse me. I guess the key was Beth Mooney, 73 off 91. That included eight fours and a six as well. So uh, down the order. And then Tali McGrath with 29 off 48. And with the tail still wag because Alana King made 18 off 29. Uh, and Darcy Brown with the ball. Tell us more about that. Yeah, look, she was fantastic with the ball. She ended up taking four wickets. She, this is her first year in the in the Australian setup, so she's certainly uh, you know taken her opportunity. And, and she's certainly a player of the future. She's not already now. She's got a long career ahead of you. And you mentioned Beth Mooney, who's been a, a, a fantastic player for Australia over a number of years. And keep mm-hmm. in mind, it was only two weeks ago she actually broke a jaw in the net. In, oh, in the yeah. net, so she had a, a net session. Ended with a broken jaw, um, and then was able to come back and, and 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 play virtually straight away within within two weeks. And she's playing cricket now, yet she still can't eat solid food. So that's an amazing, mm. courageous effort by Beth Mooney to come out and, and and bat the way she did. She's uh, she really looks forward to the drinks break. Uh, that's what I know. Not so much to tea and uh, dinner. But any, uh, yeah. Guru, I want to touch on the we, uh, we mentioned it here earlier on, but. Uh, what's happening with Justin Langer, the coach of the Australian side, and how that is playing out. It's looking really ordinary for the ACA board and the way this whole thing or this whole process has been played out. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm totally amazed we're even getting into this situation with, with Justin Langer. Obviously, mm. they want him out. It's, it's, it's certainly, they want him out. It's just a matter of what they're going to offer. It's going to be enough to force him out. But 
when you're when you're the coaches side, you and who's I reckon in your career you would have played under a lot of coaches who who you don't you don't actually like or you know or get on with. All you got to do is respect you. Don't you have to be mates with the coach and the coaches have all got all different types, but you don't have to be mates. You just got to respect them. And from a coaching perspective, what more could Justin Langer do? You know, they told him he had to change. He changed. He's won the. Mm-hmm. He came in after the Sandpaper Gate in South Africa. Had to change the culture. He did that. They won the World Cup T20. They won the Ashes. Yes, they say he had a. You know, he played lesser role and that more of a background. But that's full credit to him for taking taking that criticism on board and feedback on board. But I think if you start giving the players too much control, I think then that's where you're going to, to get in trouble. Because it's all right having control when yeah. things are going well, but what happens when things go bad? Who's then, you don't want the, the players to start pointing the finger at each other because they're the ones who've, who've instigated the, you know, virtually the change of the coach. Mate, there's an old saying, never run the inmates. I never <laughs> let the inmates run the asylum. And unfortunately at the moment, I think that's what's happening. And I agree with you 100%. All the success that he's had, it is ridiculous that we're actually even in this position right yeah. now. And, you know, uh, I feel like, um, you know, there's been too much of that in the National Rugby League over the years. Mm. Uh, if you look at your footy club, uh, Burko, the Richmond Tigers, yeah. I've got a yep. feeling there's no way they would have won their premierships if they didn't stick solid with Hardwick. I mean, he was in danger of being boned, but... Clubs have got to stick solid if they believe in their top guy. Yeah, you're dead right there, Steve. They go through such an exhaustive process to, to appoint a cage. It's not just someone will just go grab this bloke. They go through an exhaustive process, and they've got the right right person. So they need to stick solid with them to give them the opportunity. You mentioned Damien Harper. I said he was, he was virtually out the door. Seven years ago, he was virtually out the door. And now they stuck stuck with him, the board and full credit, and he comes out and wins three premierships in four years. But yes, I understand the coaches. Are, and, and sorry, the coaches are judged on a on a win loss basis. That's how they're actually judged. So, from a, a Justin Langer perspective, back in the, the cricket thing, what more could have he done? If that was an NRL coach or an AFL coach, he would have been reappointed, you know, four months ago. Yeah, correct. He would not have correct. to go through it, and they actually just stand there and have the hide and. Cricket Australia could come out and say oh, it wasn't the case, but actually even hint that he would have to reapply for his job. Yeah, well, that's, that's that's just a, such an insult to a player who they brought in to change the culture after after the South African debacle. Yep. So, hey, Burko, we're back uh, in business locally uh, this weekend, and uh, I can see that King Cumber Evoker. Uh, top of the table in the men's on 48 points, followed by Terrigal Matcham. They're having a great year in both the men's and the women's. Uh, they're women on top. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So, so in, in the men's competition, we're actually we've got three rounds of two-day cricket to go. So we're playing Saturday, Sunday, today, and tomorrow this weekend for a two-day game. Um, but yeah, Kingcumber are going really, really well at the moment. They're in the the one-day final. They're sitting on top of the T20 final and sitting on top of the one-day competition. So, so they're having a stellar year. But Terrigal are nipping at their heels in first grade. But in the women's, Terrigal are, are, are flying. They're they're undefeated on top of the table. They're going really well. They've got a really young side. They've probably got five or six girls who are under the age of 16 playing in their women's side. And, and Ella Merritt, their captain, has got them absolutely flying at the moment. So, so they're doing well. Interesting point, though, in the men's. You look at the men's competition. There's 45 points still up for grabs over the, over the last, last three rounds. So anyone can still make the final. It's, the beauty of two-day cricket and the points system is you can make a big jump with a win if, if some people above you, you lose. So I think we've got an exciting finish coming up. 
Yeah, beautiful stuff, Guru. Thanks for your time. We'll catch you next week on Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, good you guys. Appreciate your time. Yeah, Gary, the Guru Birkinshaw, mm. our cricket expert. Hey, by the way, if you've missed anything this morning, and we've had some fantastic interviews, Steve Graham was first up, followed by Adam Kwasnick, who will deliver the trophy tonight at yeah. the FFA Cup Grand Final in Melbourne. Hayden Smith was talking about Ocean Beach celebrating their 100th anniversary in our first hour. Uh, also, David Hall, absolutely sensational. If you've missed anything, make sure you download the SEN app and the Catch-Up podcast is available every Saturday. Off to a break. We're back in a moment with Margaret Beardsley on Saturdays on the, co- on the Coast. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Yeah, good morning. I uh, hope you're having a great weekend. We're live at Shelley Beach Golf Course. Butch, you want to talk about Tom Brady, the GOAT? I do want to talk about Tom Brady. And what a, you know what, absolutely phenomenal career. Like, yeah, and it's much publicised. He's, he was the 199th draft pick uh, for the Patriots. First year, I think he played one game. Second year, he was, and he played the, that one game in his first year because he was the fourth string quarterback. The second year he come in as a second string quarterback. Uh, after the second or third game, their first stringer got injured. He come in and took them all the way to the Super Bowl and ended up winning the championship, which is just amazing. And, and I guess you know when you look at what he's managed to achieve since then, that was back in 2002. What he's managed to achieve since then: ten Super Bowl appearances, seven Super Bowl championships, five MVPs in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, there is no one that is going to go anywhere near <laughs> yeah. his record. And when you look at some of these stats here, um, it is just phenomenal. Absolutely. R- r- read them out, Steve, because, mate, it's worth reading out. Well, it's- I think all the numbers you just gave us are spot on. Seven Super Bowl championships, five-time MVP, three times NFL Most Valuable Player. I guess I grew up watching the great Joe Montana. I yep. love watching Troy Aikman. Yep. Uh, another player I loved to watch was uh, with, the, with the Oilers. Warren Moon. Oh, yeah, I do remember him. Yeah. yeah. He could a, run the ball, too. Oh, he fan, could run the fantastic. Ball. But, you know, this guy unsurpassed. Oh. And what about uh, Super Bowl being played in L.A. Oh, uh, mon- the... Monday week? It is going to be pumping. And the Rams have made it after their win against the 49ers. It's probably been, and I haven't watched a lot of it. I've seen the, you know, the highlights. But it's probably been one of the most exciting, closest playoff series uh, in NFL history. It's just been absolutely from the amount of times it's gone down to either extra time or within, you know, a minute or two of a game. Uh, it's just amazing. What about the Cinderella story? Uh, uh, Cincinnati, the Beng- Bengals, up against, uh, I mean, the other day against KC, against Kansas City. Yeah, Mahomes, who was outstanding that first half. I, I don't know what happened in the second half. Kansas City just sort of, I think, choked. I'm not sure, but the Bengals, they're in... You know, they got themselves in a Super Bowl, which is great. And, you know, it's been a long time coming for them. So, fingers crossed. It's going to be a great game. I think L.A. will be too too strong. But, um, you know, they're in, the, they're in there with a chance. Yeah, they used to play at the Coliseum in Los Angeles, but they got that new stadium right near the airport that mm. is absolutely incredible. One of the world's best stadiums. We're off to another quick break. We'll come back and wrap this all up in a few mm. moments. Saturdays on the coast, live from Shelley Beach Golf Course. 
BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Yeah, welcome back. And uh, earlier, maybe about 15 minutes ago, I said it was gorgeous here, some sunshine. Now it looks like the apocalypse is... Yeah, it's coming in, mate. Yeah, absolutely. So about to bucket down here at Shelley Beach Golf Course. Have a look at it. We're probably about three or 400 metres out, maybe a kilometre out to see. You can just see the rain coming and in, my zero friend. visibility. Yep. Hey, uh, Butes, uh, this time next week, I'll be just about to head down to the All-Star Game. Combank. Uh, so, yeah, the yeah. old Bank West Stadium, mm. great venue, and a couple of Central Coast players in both the men's and women's Indigenous sides. Nico Hines from the Cronulla Sharks will play in the Indigenous men's team. Yep. And I notice Kira Dibb, who's now aligned with the Newcastle Knights, named in the women's Indigenous All-Star team. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. It's great to get rugby league back. There's plenty of movements, plenty of changes. And I did note, Steve, that... Uh, the Dolphins, they've gone about their process really slow, which I think is not a bad thing. Uh, but I do see that they've signed the Bromwich boys, which is good news. Um, Felice Cafusi is another that they've taken from the Melbourne Storm. Yep. Jamana Saka. They've only got seven players so far. But what, one thing I will say is these guys have got a lot of experience. Uh, Nichols from South Sydney. Yeah, yeah. yeah which, you know, again, Cult hero. Yeah, I look at it and I go... Wayne Bennett has taken this approach where he's identifying key positions where he wants experience. That, that's massive that he's got both Bromwich brothers. So you, you're talking about Kiwi internationals yep. um, taken from their packs. So, again, Craig Bellamy is going to have to reinvent what he does down in Melbourne. But, gee, doesn't he seem to funnel through some incredible players? Well, he certainly does. And, and you know, he's done it for 15, 20 years now at the Melbourne Storm and, and done a great job there. But... Yeah, I like their approach. It's They haven't gone gun-ho and felt this pressure, which, you know, a lot of commentators have said, what are they doing? Why are they signing anybody? They're going to struggle. You know what? They've got another 12 months to build. And you yep. know what? The players that they've got there and the coach that they've got there will attract other players. Butes, a uh, quick shout-out. Uh, yesterday for NBN TV, I did a story with Katie Gunn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Katie and also her brother Tyler, Tyler yeah. both incredible athletes. Unfortunately, Tyler's torn his hamstring and he's going through the recovery process he's still confident he might be able to uh he might be able to qualify for the commonwealth games in birmingham but katie gunn has broken a pb six meters 21 in the long jump and that means she's qualified for the world junior championships being held in cali in Colombia this august how good is that what a great opportunity for a young athlete to you know tour the world and to you know, experience what they've got to experience, but also doing it, doing so uh, at a sport they love. Yeah, and Katie, coached by Matt Horsnell, who's uh, yeah one of the world's great coaches. Is there anything he can't do? And also steered Nicola McDermott to silver in Tokyo last year. So well done to Katie Gunn. Steve, in fact, that story getting a lot of love on social media. Certainly is. Looks like, mate, we are. I reckon we're about five minutes away from getting absolutely hammered here. Yeah. Good luck to the Mariners tonight. FFA Cup Grand Final against Melbourne Victory. Good luck to Matty Graham. Yes, come on, Matty. Silver medalist from Pyeongchang four years ago. And tonight, the Graham household is going to be going off the Richter scale. It is green and gold everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Hope you enjoy the rest of the weekend. Uh, Rally around all of these Aussie athletes that are doing incredible things. Look forward to catching you next week. And don't forget, the Catch-Up podcast is available right after the show. Thanks to Pete, the technician. Thanks to Adam Staples back at headquarters. Good to see you, Butch. You're back in a fortnight. I'm back, baby. Saturdays on the coast on SEN.